as leadership and hopefully light a fire under you to get involved. Uh, there are many things that come our way where we have opportunity to say, yes, I'll get involved with that, or no, I'm not going to get involved with that, and we have to make those kinds of choices all the time. This one, I'm urging you at the beginning to consider it carefully, and if you can at all, to become involved in what we're doing. And as, as we unfold it this morning, hopefully you'll see why, um, that this is going to be so important. Um, for some time now, Actually, it's been years. I joined the Board of Elders in the year 2001, and this is 2011, so this is my 10th year. And for many of those years, we have been discussing this whole idea of small groups. And small groups, as you know, has like a wave swept over the church in America. If you look at uh, many of the churches that you may have come into contact with across the country through relatives or friends. There are many churches who have small group meetings uh, that are available to their members. And I want you to know up front that uh, at Fellowship, we have not and will not simply do something because it's popular. Uh, popularity is not the reason we do anything. Biblical command is. And so as we you know, took a look at what was going on around us, it forced us to at least take a look at why people were doing what they were doing, and it forced us back into the scriptures themselves, which is what we're going to do this morning. I'm going to ask you also to participate with me this morning, um, probably a little bit more than you may want to, but I'm going to ask you to get a pencil or a pen and take out your bulletin, and there's a place on the back of the bulletin for you to take some notes, and I'm actually going to have you write out some lists of things as we go through because I want you to, to catch what is, um, what is the heart of what we're trying to communicate this morning. So for a long time, you could count it in years, the elders have been talking about making some changes in our approach to how Fellowship Bible Church functions to bring us more in line with what the New Testament teaches about the church. Now, this is not to say that we feel that we're doing everything wrong. And I don't want you to get that impression because I feel like, you know, especially as a pastor of the church, as an elder here, that we're, we're, we're doing many things that are what I would consider to be accurate, right, appropriate for our day and age according to New Testament principle. Um, we make no apology that we are going to stick to preaching the word. Some people will come in here on Sundays and they'll leave and say, all they do is teach the Bible. Yeah. We do teach the Bible because we're supposed to. This is, what, this is our foundation, and as soon as we get off of this foundation, we're on shaky ground, and the structure will crumble. God has given us a blueprint for what the church should look like and what we ought to do, and this is where we need to get our information. And so we make no apology that we stand for, teach, and we'll continue to preach the scriptures as they are revealed to the best of our ability. And that, I think, is a hallmark of Fellowship Bible Church. It has been since its inception, and we intend to continue that on into the future as long as God gives us the ability to do so. We believe that the structure of our leadership in this church is biblical. As you look at the New Testament and you look at how the, the, the New Testament church was structured with elders and deacons, we believe that we're doing that in a right way, and I think God has blessed because of it. Um, we incorporate many biblical disciplines into this service. If you've paid any attention to what we've been doing this morning, we don't just come here to 
talk about football, though I would love to talk about football, especially after yesterday. We don't come here to talk about motorcycles, though I would talk to anybody about motorcycles any time of the day. We don't come here to just enjoy the, the weather outside. To there's, there's purpose behind what we do when we come on a Sunday morning. And if you watch and you listen and you participate, you'll see what that purpose is. It's all directed to God. It's for his glory. Our pur purpose statement as a church is to bring glory to God in everything that we do. And so all of the parts of the service, the giving, the singing, the scripture reading, the communion, the music that's played, all of it is designed to help you in your experience to be lifted directly to God so that you can worship him. That's why we're here. It's what we do. We worship, we sing, we pray, we give, we read the scripture, we preach the scriptures, and all of those things I don't need to take you to verses for every one of those, but you understand that those are, those are things that God has instructed us to do in the New Testament, and that's why we do them, and we're going to continue to do them. And so because we're talking about small groups doesn't mean that we believe that we've been doing everything wrong or that something definitely needs to change in our morning service or something like that. Um, and, and in addition to that, I think... Um, that there are also many opportunities for anybody who's here to serve in a number of ways. Part of our experience in the church is serving God and serving one another. You can serve with babies in the nursery. You can serve with toddlers in nursery too. You can help teach uh, a Sunday school class. You can help or teach in children's church or junior church. You can usher on a Sunday and help people in. You can welcome them at the door and help to greet them. You can help maintain the tracks in the rack out back. You can help make meals for people who are sick. You can sing in the choir and, and help everybody's worship experience by leading them in song. You can serve at Fellowship Christian Academy where we're teaching the children from a biblical worldview. You can lead or, te or teach or help with the teen ministry. You can lead or teach or help with the college career ministry. You can help clean the building. You can help serve food in the kitchen when we have uh, events for the whole church. You can go out and evangelize on Saturdays with the groups that are available to do that. You can visit those who are sick in the hospital or in need, and the list can go on and on. And these are things we are doing at Fellowship Now, and many of you are involved in those things. And if I missed your particular ministry, sorry. There's a lot going on. We're an active church. And so I don't think you know, we could just say that we haven't been doing things right, therefore we're going to change. I think there's many things that fellowship, uh, as we evaluate and look at what we're doing, we are doing things according to the scriptures. Not that they can't be improved or that we couldn't do things better, uh, but there are many things I think that are, that are really good going on here at the church, and I'm happy to be here. But as we took a close look at the scriptures, and as we continually look into the word of God for direction, we find that there are examples and principles given in the New Testament, which at this current time, we, as Fellowship Bible Church, either are not applying well or are not applying at all. And some of those things are what have driven us to move in this direction of small groups, and I hope that you'll see that as we move, move along. Right now in our church, a lot of the emphasis is placed on today, on, a, on the Sunday morning service, where all of us come and gather together and we enjoy our time, as we've been doing over the last few minutes. Um, but we've come to realize uh, that the Sunday morning service 
while vitally important, and nothing's going to change really on, on Sunday morning, it's only a small part of what the New Testament reveals that life in the body of Christ should be. I'd like you to turn to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, verses 43 to 47. This is one example of uh, a look at what the early church was doing. And I'm not going to get into a lot of argumentation this morning about culture, about, you know, the early church versus we are the late church. You know, we, 2,000 years have come and gone since this has happened and all of this. But this was given to us. All scripture was given by inspiration of God, for our learning, our teaching, for reproof, for instruction. And so even this passage, while culturally may be a lot different, was given to God for us to look at. And I want us to do that this morning. And as we go through it, I want you to jot down what it is the early church was doing with each other. I came up with 13 in this short passage. So I'm going to read the passage. We'll go through it again. And I want you to mark them down and make, make your list. Okay? And everyone kept feeling a sense of awe. And many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. And all those who had believed were together and had all things in common. And they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. And day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. So let's just break it down and take a look at what the early church was doing. Number one, the first thing, they were filled with a sense of awe or fear. And as you go through these and you look at what the early church was doing, just ask yourself the question, is this what I'm doing? Or you could say collectively, is this what we are doing as a church? They were continually filled with a sense of awe for God, yes, but also for what was going on in their midst together. Number two, I would call it ministry. If you look at the second part of verse 43, many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. The apostles were in the lives of people. They were continuing to heal and to do miracles and to cast out demons and to raise the dead, as Jesus had commissioned them to do back in Matthew chapter 10. He sent them out to continue the message, to preach repentance to people, and as they went, he gave them the authority and the power to do these things, and they were. So they were continuing to minister to people. I believe that the miraculous um, signs that they were doing ceased with the completion of the New Testament, and so we don't see those same signs today, but ministry continues. And so there was ministry going on um, in the early church. Number three, all those who had believed were together. I call it togetherness. They were together. Number four, they had all things in common. What does this remind you of right away? 
What group of people do you know of today that are together, they have things in common, they share with each other, they minister to each other? Besides the church, I mean, the way we're supposed to be. What? Family, absolutely. Isn't that what family's all about? You're together as a family, you minister to each other, you help each other, you share things, you have them in common, you feel like, you know, I mean, my car is my wife's car. It's my daughter's car. It's, it's our car. It's ours together. You know, it's all, all of that. They had things in common. Number five, it says in verse 45, they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. They, they were sharing with each other. People were sharing with each other as needs arose. Number six, verse 46, day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple. They were learning about God together. Middle of verse 46, and breaking bread from house to house. They were having communion together. The breaking of bread here does refer to what we just did. They would get together and... and Break and uh, eat the bread and the grape juice together, remembering what Christ had done. And then beyond that, it says they were taking their meals together, which is number eight. They were eating together. That I like. Love to get together and just have everybody make Mexican food or a big Italian night. Or probably my favorite, a noodle night. I love noodles. Chinese, Asian noodles. Eating together. We'll get back to that. Number nine, there was gladness and sincerity in their hearts. This was talking about the whole group. They were glad to be there. They were glad to be involved in this. Number 10, in verse 47, worship. They were praising God. So as they got together, they were talking about God and what God had done in their life, in their lives. Number 11, they had a positive testimony to those around them. It says they were having favor with all the people. Again, just take a look at some of the things that are holding this passage together. Togetherness, being with people. Number 12, they were growing. This was not a stagnant group. It wasn't a club. It was an outreach. And the group never remained the same. There were always new people coming in. They were adding to their number day by day. And number 13, people were being saved. They were adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. So there was an evangelistic aspect to what they were doing. The gospel was continuing to be spoken, preached, and people were responding to it. So the question that we would ask ourselves then as you read through this list, and I hope you, I hope you jotted them down, is to just ask your question, is this, is this true of me? Is this true of us? Do we feel a sense of awe when we get together? Are we ministering to one another? Are we together? Do we have 
anything in common? Do we share these things with each other? Do we learn about God together? Are we interested in learning about God together so we're learning the same things about God? Do we observe communion together? Do we eat together? Meals, I mean. Are we glad about being a part of Fellowship Bible Church? Is there a sincerity in our hearts that, yeah, this is my church, this is my family, I like it here. Gladness. Do we worship together? Do we as a church have a positive testimony to those who are around us? Are we growing? Are people being saved? So you ask yourself those questions, and you can answer them for yourself. I'm going to give you the, our conclusion to these answers in a minute. So we've got examples like this. This was just one example. I'm not going to take you to all of them, about how the church functioned and what it was doing. And so we have that, and we can, we can look at each one of those, and it gives us a baseline and, and something by which we can know that this is what we're supposed to be doing. This is what God called the church to do. We also know that the church is described in the New Testament in very vivid terms. There are a lot of illustrations that God gave to us in the New Testament that describes what we are as a church. I'm going to just stick with four of them this morning and take you through a thought process as we go through those four. The first one is a body. All of you are familiar with this, I'm sure. In 1 Corinthians 12, if you want to turn there for a moment. Verse 12, for even as the body is one and yet has many members, and all the members of the body, though they are many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. Whether Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, we were all made to drink of one spirit. So the church is described in a physical illustration of a body. And so we can take a look at our own bodies and learn something about what God wanted the church to be. And I'll get into that in a moment. The second one is a household. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household. So we can take a look at our own households and how they're arranged and what makes up a household and what makes it run and learn something about what God wanted the church to be like. Third one, same book and chapter down in verse 21, Ephesians 2.21, a building in whom the whole building, talking about the church, is fitted together or being fitted together, is growing into a holy temple in the Lord. So the church is also illustrated as a building. And those of us, or those of you who are involved in construction, general management at all, you understand that there's a lot to putting a building together. And so we can look at the illustration of a building and learn something about the church. And the last one, it was mentioned here in verse 21 again, is a temple also in 1 Corinthians 3.16, says the same thing. Do you not know that you are a temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? And I believe here in the context, he's not talking necessarily about you as an individual believer, but the church itself. 
The congregation is a temple of God. And so we can look at the temple itself and learn about what the church should be. So what I want to do is take those four illustrations and just share with you some common themes that run through all of them that I think will help us to understand what we ought to be doing as a church. First one, as you look at all four of these, the body, the household, the building, and the temple, the first thing that you see right off is that all of these illustrations are made up of parts coming together as a whole. Right? Parts coming together as a whole. Look at your body. Your body is made up of multiple parts. Obviously, the ones that we can see, our head, our hands, our arms, our neck, our torso, our legs, our feet. Um, but within the body itself, as you begin to study it, you understand that there's a lot of systems that work in your body, too, that you very rarely think about. We all have a circulatory system. Blood is coursing through my veins and your veins right now, and it's keeping us alive. It's there, though we don't think about it much. We have a respiratory system. We have lungs. And those lungs take oxygen and oxygenate our blood. And we breathe in and out. Go ahead. Breathe in. Breathe out. You stop doing that, you die, right? We have a digestive system. It takes our food, breaks it down, gives us the nutrients we need to live, spits out the rest. We have an immune system, white blood cells that attack virus, attack bacteria, help in the healing process, all which goes on without us really even knowing. We have a nervous system that lets us feel. I have my hands on something hard right now, and it's telling my brain that it can support a little bit of my weight, all without thinking. I have a lymphatic system, a reproductive system, and on and on we could go. Our bodies are made up of these wonderful multiple parts that complete it. And without them, there wouldn't be a body. It takes all of them together, functioning together, working together for the body to function correctly. What about a household? Again, multiple parts making up a whole. Right? What's in a typical household? A father, a mother... I'll use our household. We've got a father and a mother, two daughters and two sons. And then in an extended household, we have a grandmother and a grandfather, all under the same roof. It's our household. Any one of us does not make up the household. If I lived by myself, there would be no household. If my son Ryan was to leave home and live by himself, that would not be a household. But together, when we come together with the relationships that we have and the way that we function together, it's a household. And they all have to be there to make it a household. What about a building? Even think about this building that we're in right now. Somebody poured a foundation of concrete underneath your feet. And that foundation is holding the framework of this building. If you tore down the, the drywall off these walls, you would see that there are support beams beneath the wall, the frame. If you tore off the ceiling, you'd see the frame of the roof coming up to a point all holding it together, right? There's an electrical system in this building, which allows us to have light, also allows the heat to work. We have a heat system in this building, which you're all glad of today, because we're sitting in relative warmth in this room. We have an air conditioning system in this building, which cools it off in the summertime. We have a plumbing system in this building, which lets you go to the bathroom and flush and get water, right? We have interior finishing, 
light fixtures, carpet on the floor, instruments, could go on and on and on. Doors, windows, multiple parts. And anybody involved in a construction project knows how difficult it is to get all those people together and build everything, you know. Multiple parts coming together as a whole. You could say the same thing of the temple, the stones, the furniture, the rooms, the walls, the things that are, that are a part of the temple. They're all individual parts coming together as a whole. A second theme that runs through all four of these is something that I would call interdependence. Each one of those individual parts is dependent on the other parts. Think about your body. Go ahead and remove one of those systems. Just pick one. Respiratory. Just take it out. Is your head going to work? Are your hands going to work? Are your feet going to take you anywhere? Is your blood going to be oxygenated? Is your heart going to continue if you don't breathe? No. Every other system in the body is dependent on that one. And you take it out, and it's gone. Let's just take out our circulatory system. Just remove it. Just take all your veins out. I'm not trying to be gross, just... It won't work. Your body ceases to function. You take away one part, and it ceases to function. Every part is in need of each other. And the same is true as you go on down the list of the household. Take away one of the members of the household, and, and each member needs one another. I need my wife. She needs me. We need our kids. They need us. And the household works together and functions together because of that interdependency. Not every person in the household has the same function. We all have different functions, but we have to be there in order for it to work right. It's the household. What about the building? We got an up-close-and-personal illustration of this while we were on vacation. One system in our house failed while we were gone. It happened to be the heat. Our furnace shut itself down for some reason. And when we came home, our ceiling was full of water because a pipe burst. So we have a plumbing system that's dependent on the heating system. One fails, the other fails. And you could go on and on with the building. You can't build a building without a foundation. No foundation, the structure's going to be crooked and it's not going to hold up its weight and all this stuff. So the parts in all of these are interdependent. None of them can really stand on their own. They're dependent on some other part for it to work. So there's many parts coming together. The parts are in interdependent. Third thing, the parts cannot exist or function properly on their own. Let's just take one of the doors of the building and stick it out in the parking lot. Woo! Come in the parking lot and we'll go through a door. Here's one side. Step over here. Close the door. All right. It doesn't make sense. Take your eyes. Eyes are beautiful. It's the first thing people usually look at when you meet somebody. You look at their eyes. Eyes are absolutely an amazing organ in the human body. All the muscles that can make it turn in any direction, the rods and the cones that allow us to see color, the iris that makes the color in your eye, the pupil that lets light in, the optic nerve that sends those things to the brain. All right, let's just take the eyeball out. What? That makes no sense. As incredible as the eye is, as soon as you take it away from the body, what happens to it? It's absolutely useless. It can't function. 
and it won't function unless it's connected in where it's supposed to be in the in the socket you know and to be used there are no parts of the body that are useful on their own take any one of them it's kind of absurd to even think about it your hand you know what's it going to do my brother-in-law has one of those creepy looking hands that are by itself made out of rubber attached to a door knob in his basement just hanging there it doesn't do any good not attached to a body it can't move by itself it needs help right so the parts and you can go through that with the household you can go through that with, with the building with the temple none of the parts can exist on their own and function properly they have to be together and then lastly, related to all this, number four, the parts are only fulfilled when they're serving to complete the whole. That eyeball not only would not function right out of the body, but it would never be able to do what it was supposed to do apart from the body. This is the church that we're talking about. Think about what God is saying about you and me as a member of the body of Christ. We can't do it by ourselves. You can't do it by yourself. And as you look at that, that passage in Acts chapter 2, and you start to think about what God is saying, that the church is a body, a household, and all these illustrations, one thing has become very clear to us, that this cannot happen on a Sunday morning. Just can't. It's impossible. We have examples of what the New Testament is like in the book of Acts and other places. We have a description of what the church uh, is supposed to be as we look at these illustrations. And then we have a whole host of commands that we're supposed to be fulfilling, that God gives to us directly. These are things we can't ignore. If you're a believer, these commands apply to you and to me. Let's look at them. John chapter 13, verse 14. I'm going to go through these quickly, but I want you to turn to them and read them with me. And if you have enough room in your paper, list them out. I'm not going to tell you how many I have because you're going to raise your eyebrows. John 13:14. what's the command? Wash one another's feet. All these commands are the one another passages in the, in the New Testament. This is what we were supposed to be doing with one another. Okay, John 13, 34, number two. This one's repeated multiple times in the New Testament. Love one another. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another, even as I have loved you. This is a responsibility of us to do this with each other. I'm supposed to love you and you are supposed to love me. Number three, Romans 12, 10. What's the command? There's two of them in here. You can participate a little this morning. We're doing things differently. What's the first command in Romans 12, 10? Okay, affection. Talks about devotion. Be devoted to one another. What's the second one? Give preference to one another. Let somebody else go first. Let them have the first cookie. Give preference to. Think of them as higher than yourself. Which verse is it? 
Yeah, this one. Let each esteem others better than himself. That's, that's giving preference to one another, right? Romans 12, 16. First phrase. Be of the same mind one toward another, which means get your thinking in line with each other. So we're thinking about things the same way. Romans 14, 13. This one's the only negative I included. There were a few more. Don't judge one another. Because we're all going to have to give an account to God. So this is relationship, you and me. We're not to be judging each other. Chapter 14, verse 19. Last part of the verse. Okay, building up or edifying one another. It's my responsibility to build you up. It's your responsibility to build me up. How are you going to do that? I don't know. That's number seven. Number eight, Romans 15, 5. Yep, it's kind of similar to the one in, in uh, Romans 12. Be of the same mind or like-minded toward each other. Romans fifteen fourteen. End of the verse. Okay, we are to admonish one another. That's a hefty word. It has to do with coming alongside and helping one another, exhorting one another, encouraging one another. That means getting into each other's lives and giving advice and helping. Number 10, Romans 16, 16. This one's different. Greet one another with a kiss. Other parts of the world, that's done all the time. Don't do it so much here. Greet one another with a holy kiss. Okay, I'll just leave that one alone right now. Number 11, 1 Corinthians 11.33. So then, my brethren, when you come together to eat... a good instruction for the kids <laughs> wait for one another again has to do with esteeming others better than yourself preferring one another as you're together but wait for one another that means you're you're giving attention and preference to someone else okay first corinthians 12 25 that there should be no division in the body but that the members should have the same care Care for one another. What do you care about? Is it the people of God? Care for one another. That's 12. 13. Galatians 5, 13. For you were called to freedom, brethren. Only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Jesus said, I didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give my life a ransom for many. It's our responsibility as a believer in Christ to serve each other. Number 14, Galatians 6.2. Right in the first part of the verse, bear one another's burdens. We're not to be in this life alone. God designed the church for us to be together and to do these things with each other. Bear one another's burdens. Number 15, Ephesians 4.2.
with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing forbearance, which in other words is patience. The word literally means to suffer with. Not everybody in this room likes everybody else in this room. I know that. You know that. There are people who rub us the wrong way. What are, what's our responsibility with the people of God to show forbearance, patience with each other? Ephesians 4.32. First part of the verse. Be ye kind to one another. Tenderhearted, forgiving. So kindness and forgiveness. We are to show to each other. Ephesians 5.21. Be subject to each other. Submit yourselves to one another. Colossians 3.13. This is number 18 if you're keeping track. Bearing with one another and forgiving. Forgiving one another. Whoever has a complaint against anyone. Just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. Colossians 3.16. Let the word of Christ... Richly dwell in you with all wisdom, doing what? Teaching and admonishing one another. So we ought to be teaching each other. We ought to be admonishing each other. Number 20, 1 Thessalonians 4.18. Comfort. Comfort one another with these words. It's our responsibility to comfort one another. Hebrews 3.13. It's number 21. Told you the list was long. Hebrews 3.13. But encourage one another day after day, as long as it is still called today, lest any one of you be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. It's our responsibility to come together and to encourage one another in the Lord, to encourage each other's walk with the Lord so that we don't become discouraged. Number 22, Hebrews 10, 24. It's an interesting one. Let us consider how to stimulate one another to love. And to good works. So this is, just, this is not just taking our responsibility to love one another and to provide good works in the body, but it's thinking about how can we encourage other people to do the same. Consider how to stimulate each other to love and to good works. Number 23, James 5.16. Therefore, confess your faults, sins to one another. And pray for one another so that you may be healed. So there's 23 things that are directly given to us as believers in Christ that we need to be doing with each other. How are we doing? We've got examples of how the church behaved in the book of Acts. We've got the, um, vivid descriptions of what the church is to be like with the, the body and the household. 
We have specific commands that have been given to us in all of these one another commands. And as we've studied these texts, as the elders have looked at this, and we've, we've looked at what we're doing as a church, we've come to several conclusions, three in particular. Number one, and most important, this cannot be done on Sunday. It's impossible. The way that the church is organized right now, for the majority of the people in this room sitting here right now, this will be your only contact with the church this week. Am I right? Some of us get together more often, it's true, but for most of the people sitting in this room, this is it. Right here, right now, with these people for an hour and a half. How's it going? Have you cared for anybody? Have you submitted to anybody? Have you preferred anybody? This has been a pretty much a one-way conversation from me to you, right? Which is important. But the conclusion that we've come to is that the things that God expects the church to be in the New Testament so clearly revealed. Just go back and look at the list that you wrote down if you wrote them down today. What was the church doing? How was the church described? What are the commands given to the church? And you answer the question yourself. Can you do that on a Sunday? No way. And in fact, in the book of Acts, they were not just meeting once a week, they were meeting every day. And so here we are as elders faced with this. Ah, how can we get the whole church to meet together every day? Is that possible? No, I don't think so. Not in our culture. You have to quit your jobs or, or meet every night or something. Right? Our conclusion was that this, it's, it is completely impossible to do on a Sunday. It can't be done. The kind of relationship that the New Testament is, is describing can only be done when we have more contact with each other. That's number one. Number two, for this type of relationship to blossom, it can't be done in a formal service. These formal services are great, and I, I really I enjoy coming to them. I hope you do too, as we read together and pray together and sing together and do everything corporately. But this that we just read in the New Testament can't be done in a formal service with you sitting facing me. It's impossible. We're going to keep preaching sermons on Sunday and keep having one-way conversations on Sunday so we can be taught but we also realize that there has to be some other type of informal gathering for these things to really blossom and take place. Something much smaller than this, something located not here in this room that's built for 400 people, where individuals will have the opportunity to interact with each other the way that they should. Third thing, the size of these meetings has to be reduced. There has to be a setting where the group is small enough so that we can get to know each other. It's sad to say, I'm a pastor of this church, and some of you sitting out there right now, I have no idea what your name is. Because I see you once a week. And maybe other people get to me before you do, and I don't know who you are. If you were to quiz me right now as to your life, where you live, whether you're married or not, how many children you have, What's going on in your life? Guarantee I would fail that quiz. And if you were quizzed on the person who's sitting four rows in front of you to the left or to the right, how well, how well would you do? Can't be done on a Sunday. Impossible. 
the large group meetings are good and necessary, but they can't provide the, fir the, the ground for personal conversation and ministry. So, armed with all of these thoughts that have been discussed for so long, we have moved ahead with providing an opportunity for all of you and for us to meet together on a more regular basis and at least have a fighting chance of doing some of these things that God has instructed us to do in the New Testament. And this opportunity is coming to you in the form of small group ministries. That's why we're promoting the small group ministries. It's so that we can, as a church, get involved and do the things uh, that we're supposed to be doing. A lot of obstacles came up as we were discussing this. Will people actually come? What about work schedules? What about family obligations? Where are we going to meet? Is twice a month too much? Is it not enough? Uh, what if they fail? What if nobody comes? What if we can't find people to host? What if we can't find people to lead these groups and make them work? What about our kids? What are they going to do? What about food? Should we serve food, not serve food? Will this interfere with any ongoing ministries in the church that are already happening? Are people's toes going to get stepped on if we do this? How long should they go? Probably the most important question, is this something God wants for us? And after praying and talking and hashing out all of these things, we came to the conclusion that this is the direction that we need to take in our church. We need to be together more. And my appeal to you this morning is to evaluate your life individually as a part of Fellowship Bible Church in light of what's been said. Are you fulfilling your role in the body? Can you read Acts chapter 2, verses 43 to 48? And say with assurance that your life at this church is what it needs to be. Can you read the descriptions that we gave to you this morning of the church as a body, a household, a building, a temple? And say with confidence that you as an individual are fulfilling your responsibility to its fullest. Can you read the one and other passages, all 23 that we just gave you? And know for certainty that your life is connected to other believers in such a way that you're able to fulfill those commands. Honestly, I can't. Even as a pastor here, I'm here every single day. The school is open every day. I'm, I'm with believers most of the time, and yet I still, for the people in this room, I, what I said was true. There are some people here, I don't know your names. I hate that. There are some people here that there are things going on in your life, I've got no clue. Pastor or no, just another brother in Christ. I don't like that. I feel disconnected. And so I can imagine that some of you probably do too. I urge you, be a part of this. Get involved. Join a group. See where it goes. Pray for it, that God would bless Commit to it. Find one near your home. Find one that fits your schedule and just go and be with the people of God. If you haven't registered for one yet, there's still time. They're not, the registrations are never going to close. They'll be open all the time. It'll never be too late to do so. And please just give this some careful thought. Let's pray. Father, I do thank you.